You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. Today's message is entitled, The Constitution of the Kingdom. The Constitution of the Kingdom. And this has been something that the Lord has been speaking to me about for a while. This is number three, number three in the people of God. And we've been on this theme of the people of God. I'm going to pray and then... I'll lead you in a prayer. Father, I'm asking that we would understand what it means to be your people and that you would build the inward constitution of your people to be strong. Thank you for your word, that your word gives us light and life and your word transforms us. Uh, I'm praying that we would really understand your word and we would go deeper in it that we would also know you more, and that we would become the people you want us to become. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hands on our hearts. Bless you guys. Hands on your hearts. And pray this nice and loud with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life. In your precious name, amen. And if you're watching this online, we welcome you. God bless you. If you're on the podcast, we welcome you too. The Constitution of the Kingdom. And our first graphic up there is the American Constitution. It is uh, well known. We the people, it starts out with. But there's also an Australian Constitution. Did you know that? Yes. (laughs) I'm joking around when I said, "Did, (laughs) did you know that? Uh, often you hear more about the American Constitution than the Australian Constitution. But this is how it starts. I found this interesting. Uh, it begins with an act to constitute the Commonwealth of Australia, 9th of July, 1900. And then it begins like this. Whereas the people of New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, Queensland, and Tasmania humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God, have agreed to unite in one indissoluble federal commonwealth under the crown of the United Kingdom of Great Britain Britain and Ireland and under the Constitution hereby established. So I've highlighted that one, or I emboldened that one phrase. Did you hear that? Humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God. So that's an official document. This is straight from the Australian government's website. Humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God. That's how this commonwealth began in 1900. And it's something that we could use in prayer. As here it is, we started humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God. Let us continue 
And don't we need that all to be God's people, not just Australians, but to be God's people? We need to humbly rely on the blessing of Almighty God. Commonwealth of Australia Constitution Act. The Sermon on the Mount, listen to what Jesus says here, and this is our opening text. Our opening text is not the Australian Constitution. This is, this is the foundation here, is Matthew 5, 1 through 2, and then verse 14. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. You are the light of the world. A city, polis, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. So this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus saw the crowds. He goes up the mountainside, and the mountainside is symbolic in various ways, and he sits down. This was the common posture of teaching, and uh, this is what I'm doing this morning, too. I'm sitting down. <laughs> uh, and you'll find that rabbis will sit and teach too. And Jesus was sitting down on the mountainside and his disciples came to him and, and he began to teach them. And notice how he says, as he gets 14 verses into it, he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Well, the Greek word there is Police. Uh, it sounds like our word for police because there is that etymological connection. Uh, it's this word for uh, police is well, where our word politics comes from. Politics and policy and police. It has to do with originally the city or the town. And here Jesus is describing his people, says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. What is the Sermon on the Mount? And this is the place that this graphic here, this a photo is the place where they believe the Sermon on the Mount was spoken. A beautiful setting in Israel. But what is the Sermon on the Mount? What is the Sermon on the Mount? And all throughout this year, we've had this theme. We've been interweaving the Sermon on the Mount in and out of the different messages. Uh, even if it hasn't been featured in a message, it's been all the messages have in some way been inspired by the Sermon on, on the Mount, but we have not uh, looked at it in a uh, careful, critical way. Or let me not say careful. We haven't like dived deep in just into the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is something that I wanted to do today without going, you know, too long. We could talk about this over the weeks to come. The Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of God's kingdom. So it's important to understand what the Sermon on the Mount is, and I will read from different pieces and portions of it. The Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of God's kingdom. Through it, Jesus paints a portrait of God's people living under the government of the king of kings. So who are God's people? God's people are the people who have God as their king. 
and the kingdom of God has to do with the rule and reign of God. And what Jesus is doing when he gives us the Sermon on the Mount is he's painting a portrait of God's people living under the government of the King of Kings and what God's people look like when they live under the government and the rulership of the King of Kings, the greatest king. So this is a constitution. All the nations of the world have constitutions. Australia has a constitution. And, of course, America and all across the world, there's constitutions. Well, this is the constitution for the people of God. And the people of God are unlike any other people on earth because we're the people that God has chosen. And we're the people of God's presence. And we're the people of his kingdom. And we need to represent his kingdom amongst all the other kingdoms in this world. And so it's important for us to understand this constitution and what it's about. Here's some blueprints. The Sermon on the Mount is the blueprint of God's church. Another way to see the Sermon on the Mount is it's the blueprint of God's church. It shows us what Jesus is building and how he has designed us. When we're in the throes of turbulent times, we must constantly consult our master's blueprint rather than our own understanding. So a good builder will always go back to the blueprint to make sure that it is designed according to the purpose and the measurements and the requirements of the design. And... The same way goes for us as God's people, families, ministries. We need to constantly consult our master's blueprint, Jesus' blueprint, and he gave it. That's, this is the first major teaching in the gospel of Matthew. And we need to consult his master's blueprint rather than our own understanding. A lot of times you hear, well, I think this, I feel that, and there's a time for sharing things like that, but it always needs to be submitted to God. What does he think? What his, his understanding? What does he say? One of the challenges, though, of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is often using a device called hyperbole to communicate his points. Now, preachers and teachers will use this hyperbole for a reason. It's to shock. And sometimes somebody will come up to me and say after a message, oh, you know, that hurt me or that shocked me. Well, if you were with Jesus and you were listening to Jesus speak, a lot of the things he would say would shock you. But it was to get your attention. It was, it, not everything he said was meant to be done literally. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, the, one of the things he says is, cut if your right hand causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Does he want you to do that? <laughs> <laughs> he wants you to, what he wants you to do, and this is why we need to interpret Scripture correctly, what he wants you to do is deal uh, ruthlessly with sin and what causes sin. He's not wanting you to maim yourself. And so understanding that is important in understanding the Sermon on the Mount, as well as all uh, teaching and preaching and throughout the Scripture, and to be able to know uh, when we need to take something literally and when we need to apply the, the spirit of it or the heart of it. Um, 
And especially in turbulent times, when times are turbulent, we're in turbulent times now. We're in times of rapid change. Uh, we would say that the last 10 years has been some of the most rapid change in all of history. And here we are, we're learning the word, and I've got everybody has their own version of the presentation on their phone. This couldn't be really done 10 years ago or so because the, because the technology wasn't as good. But uh, uh, we have Kieran back there. He, he would know <laughs> much better the technology. I guess it would have been possible, but it might have been more difficult with the technology. Um, but here we have, we're doing something different. We're doing something new. And this changes all across the board. So how are the people of God meant to respond? And how are we meant to live? When we look deeper at the Sermon on the Mount, we discover it's Jesus' own self-portrait. Jesus is describing himself and the cross he carries. He is the one who turns the other cheek, prays in secret, and seeks God's kingdom first. As well as all the other things that are described in there. And we can turn over to the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew chapter 5. We open this, but if you, if you have your, we opened with this, but if you have your Bibles, we'll look there. The first words that come out of Jesus' mouth are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is speaking about a, a spiritual poverty, and we see it in Jesus, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane where he is so desperate for his father and where he's saying, not my will, but your will be done. And we see him be, being totally poured out on the cross and becoming poor so that we can become rich. And all these things we see on the cross, for example, blessed are those who are mourned. Jesus was mourning there in Gethsemane on the cross, even throughout his life. He's mourning for the state of the world. He's mourning for their sin. He's mourning for uh, the way they are rejecting God. But the good news comes through. Bless, first, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, these are the very things that in the world we don't see as blessed. Uh, if you are poor, we don't see that as blessed. We see it more as, oh, no, <laughs> right? Woe is me. And what about mourning? You know, when it's mourning, it's, we don't think of it as blessed. What does blessed mean here? It's meaning happy, joy, a, a joy that comes from heaven. These are the, this is the way the people of God are. We are blessed because we may be poor, but we have the kingdom of heaven. We may mourn, but we have God's comfort. And Jesus may have mourned, but he had comfort. Now, it goes on to say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is describing Jesus. He's the meekest one. The cross and him carrying the cross is the example and the way of meekness. And because of that, he is the king of kings. And he has been given the name that is above every other name. He inherits the earth. It's his earth. And we see if you look at all throughout, we can go through 
out the whole Sermon on the Mount, and we may go into it more detail in the weeks to come, but it's all a self-portrait of Jesus. I want you to see that this is Jesus. He's speaking about himself, but he's not, he's not uh, promoting uh, himself, so to speak, in a, in a very uh, demonstrative way. This was the way of Jesus in that he, he was speaking in a humble way about himself and about his people because his people are a reflection of him. So when we look deeper at the Sermon on the Mount, we discover it's Jesus' own self-portrait. Jesus is describing himself and the cross he carries. He is the one who turns the other cheek. There's a lot of debate about what does it mean to turn the other cheek? If somebody breaks into my house and they're attacking my family, do I turn the other cheek? What do I do there? That's one of the questions, that ethical questions that come up in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not about to answer it all <laughs> right now. But I would say that the way we understand that is to look at the cross and what it means to carry the cross and how Jesus turned the other cheek. And it is especially in reference to that. Here's a piece of paper crumbled. As the church, we went through the drama of COVID-19 lockdowns and vaccine mandates. It seemed to me that we crumpled up the Sermon on the Mount and came up with our own constitution to live by. So what I found is that when we were going through this drama of COVID-19 lockdowns, vaccine mandates, that the church, I'm talking about the church as a whole, seemed to crumble up the Sermon on the Mount. And we came up with our own constitution to live by. And especially we started to operate in the realm of our own strength, our own force, our own desires, our own opinions. But really, during that time, we needed to get back to the Word. Now, that's what we were doing as a church. We are constantly going back to the Word and Jesus. But there's a lot of people that did not do that. We forgot the power of the kingdom, the kingdom of God in this world of tribulation. We live in a higher kingdom, a greater kingdom, and we forgot the power of that kingdom in this world of tribulation. Love and loyalty were tossed aside for our opinions. People ran to hear teachers that scratched their itching ears. And like the situation in Judges, in those days, there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this, to me, is a picture of the church during that time. That there was no king. It, Jesus was not king. He was just king in name, but we're not, we weren't submitted to him. And so there was no king in uh, the people of God. The, we are generally speaking here. We're not saying every single person, but by and large, we saw this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, God has given us the Sermon on the Mount so that we don't do what is right in our own eyes. And we might not like the things that he says, but he is our king and we have to say, yes, Lord. And there's going to be a chiseling. Anytime you come to the word of God, the word of God is like a hammer. It's going to chisel things off of us that are not good. And the chisel works on me as well. I'm a teacher of God's word, but that doesn't mean the chisel doesn't need to work on me too. 
right? I'm not above the Word of God. And all of us need to allow the chisel of God's Word to work. Well, here's a comic I came across, a political uh, comic, Jeffrey Pryor. Some of you may know him. Well, here's this politician holding the Australian Constitution. Behind him, everybody is fighting in the parliament. Everybody is fighting and arguing and papers are flying in the air. And he just, this, this man just brought out the Australian Constitution, but then he says, back to the old glass case for another 80 years. <laughs> back to the old glass case for another 80 years. So it's kind of, here is, there's many ways this can be interpreted, but how I see it is they bring out, we bring out the Constitution, and it's almost just for show. It's not consulted and it goes just back in the glass case. Yeah, we honor it, but we're not really living by it. And now I'm taking this to apply to the Bible because the Bi we could say the whole Bible also is our constitution, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, but the whole entire scripture. And we can honor the Sermon on the Mount with our mouth and kind of bring about and say, wow, this is great, great, but... Is it just going into the old glass case? And is it just for show? Or is it something we really need to listen to and it needs to challenge us and change us? And if we are listening to God's constitution, we wouldn't be fighting like that back there in that comic where everybody's fighting and throwing up papers. There would be a, a unity, even though we would have some disagreements because we're human we would not be forsaking one another. We wouldn't be forsaking each other based on our different thoughts and opinions because we know that our opinions are not king. Our opinions are not everything. We may have opinions. I have some opinions. Something comes up on the news. I'm a little bit upset by it, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not going to be preaching about it. <laughs> but what happens is people start preaching about their opinions and thoughts and we start to drift from the word of God and then we start to gravitate toward those who validate our opinions validate our biases rather than challenge us with the Bible and what we are about as a church is we all need to be challenged with the Bible we all need to be challenged with the Word of God. Even if we're a little bit upset with it, we need to be challenged by it and stretched by it and moved by it. That's our standard. My, it's, but the standard is not my preaching. It is the Scripture. It is the Word of God, and that's what we're always going back to. If God's people are going to move ahead we must learn the lessons of the kingdom and get back to the foundation of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's throw away our own opinions and philosophy for Jesus' way. Can I hear an amen here? And I believe all of you, it's like preaching to the choir, but we need to be reminded of these things. And we need to share these things with our fellow brothers and sisters. 
But I feel this is a lesson. I, I know that this is, this is a worldwide lesson for God's people, that if we're going to move ahead, we must learn the lessons of the kingdom and get back to the foundation of the Sermon on the Mount. I feel that the Lord is saying we cannot move forward unless we deal with this issue. And it has been a worldwide thing where the church has been seduced by politics, the church has been seduced by false teaching, the church has been seduced by all sorts of things in, in the wider church, uh, issues of sexuality, almost anything goes now and is validated, as I was reading an article by one of the major denominations. Uh, I won't mention them, but one of the major denominations uh, validating and affirming the homosexual way of life. All these things that are out there, contrary to the word of God. Well, what, what are we trying to do? We're trying to crumple up the word of God and write our own constitution. And... In saying that, we need to, of course, show lots of compassion and love for everybody, no matter where, where their background is or where they come from. But we believe in the power of God to transform our life. The power of God needed to transform my life when I got saved. And for everyone, it doesn't matter what your background, what your preferences are, the power of God needs to come in and transform and he does, and he can, and he uses his word and his spirit. Jesus speaks the sermon so that his people would know who he is and how they are to reflect him. Only as we come to the end of the gospel, or the end of the gospels, and realize that it concludes with Jesus' resurrection, do we understand that we can live secretly and sacrificially because God's kingdom does not fall with rejection and death, but is like a mountain that cannot be moved. So just like Jesus was on a mountain and he's given this sermon, the Lord is wanting to build his people to be like a mountain. I talked about that last week. And God, the, the mountain of God's kingdom is not moved. And so when the Lord is calling us to be a light of the world, he's not calling us to be showy or go in the spotlight, so to speak. Remember that throughout the Sermon on the Mount, especially in the middle part, he's saying, uh, when you pray, pray in secret. When you give, give in secret. When you fast, give in secret. In other words, it's not like a show like the Pharisees. Uh, we're not living for this world. Our Father sees what we do in secret, secret and he rewards us openly. And Jesus didn't have to prove that he was the Son of God. He didn't have to prove it. He just did the Father's will. And the resurrection proved that he was the Son of his heavenly Father and so we can live sacrificially and secretly because God's kingdom does not fall with persecution, rejection, and death, but it's like a mountain that cannot be moved. And as we know from Daniel, the prophecy in Daniel, that that stone will become the chief mountain, take over the whole entire world, the kingdom of God. And so we're not too worried if 
our candidate doesn't get into power, right? Are you with me here? If our candidate doesn't get in power, we're concerned about, of course, our society, but we're not going to lose our faith because our faith is in another kingdom and another king. As much as we can, we want to bring light into this world, and we do it by our lives. We want to bring light into politics, but if people want to reject what the word of God says, we carry our cross. That's what Jesus, they rejected the word of God and Jesus carried his cross. Carrying our cross is our response. And that's in submission to the Father. How are you going? The sermon is structured like a mount with its peak in the center calling us to seek above all things the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that's Matthew 6, 33. That's in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. It says to seek above all things or to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so the structure of the sermon, it's like we're beginning at a base and we're, we're climbing up the mountain and we get to the peak and the peak has to do with the priorities of the kingdom. And then we go down into... The, the pathway, the practice, and the pathway of the kingdom. But I'll show you a little summary, a little survey of the sermon before we end. So the Sermon on the Mount, its purpose is also to make us like a mountain, strong, upright, and immovable. No matter how much you fire at us, we will keep standing. Amen. No matter how much you keep firing at us, we, we will keep standing. Authentic love, love full of grace rather than keeping a record of wrongs, conquers all. And this is one of the messages of the Sermon on the Mount, that authentic love, which is love full of grace, not judgment, but full of grace, which doesn't keep a record of wrongs, conquers all. And we see that love in Jesus. So let's survey this mountain. It has five distinct parts, like the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. The Sermon on the Mount is the essence of the Torah, explained by its author, the Word that has become flesh. And that's the amazing thing is, the law came down on Mount Sinai, but the people didn't really understand the law correctly. They didn't see God's heart in the law and they tried to fulfill the law through their own works. What they found out is they failed miserably trying to be righteous in their own strength. And so what happens is the word of God himself comes down, sits on a humbler mount the, the, where the Sermon on the Mount is uh, spoken. And he explains what God always meant. So... It's not as much that the Old Testament is wrong or the New Testament is right. That's how some people think. That's not right. That's a, not good theology at all. The Old Testament is good and holy, and the New Testament is new. Uh, the, the New Testament is good and holy. So the old is good and the new is good, but the new explains the old. The new enlightens us. And this is what the Lord is doing, Jesus is doing through the Sermon on the Mount. He's enlightening us about God's ways. 
And ultimately, the law is meant to be written on our hearts so that we're a living epistle, a living tablet or tablets, living tablets of the law. So let's look at this constitution of the kingdom. This is the last major thing that we're covering here, the constitution of the kingdom. And first, the first section is Matthew 5, 1 through 16. And you could turn over there. We're not going to read all of it for the sake of time. But I want us to get, have a general overview. And the first part is the preamble of this constitution. It has to do with the people of the kingdom and what these people look like, the people of the kingdom. And this is where, at the end of this section, we read Jesus saying, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 16. So in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, your light is changing people's hearts that they're now glorifying their Father in heaven. And just before that, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So he is explaining who we are as a people. We're the salt. We're the light. We're meant to let our light shine, but that doesn't mean a performance or a show. You're the greatest showman. This is not being the greatest showman. <laughs> but it's living, you know, humbly before our Father, even secretly in the secret place. And so he's explaining the people of the kingdom. Then, then we go into the next section, and that is the purpose of the kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 48, we read about the purpose of the kingdom. Jesus is explaining the purpose of the kingdom, and this is where he says... Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Are you hearing this? Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And in us, when Christ comes in us through salvation, he wants to fulfill the law and the prophets in us. And that can be all summed up with one word. Love. Loving God with all of our heart, loving our neighbor as ourself. This is what righteousness is. Righteousness is love. So I'm, you know, I'm trying, I am making this as simple as possible. I'm trying to make this as simple as possible, but the simplicity is not in any way dumbing down it or uh, making it, watering it down or making it less. The simplicity comes after years of years of reading the word and wrestling and saying, God, what does this mean? And the Holy Spirit teaching and guiding. And I'm sure he's taught you these things too. So first we have the people of the kingdom. Second, we have the purpose of the kingdom. Third, at the very center of this structure, the very peak is the priorities of the kingdom. And we find that in Matthew 6, 1 through 34. Matthew 6, 1 through 34, we see the priorities of the kingdom. And it begins with, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he's teaching us a different way. <laughs> you know, when a government gives money to something like they give to the Ukraine, it's like announced with 
trumpets blown. Doo, 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 doo. We are giving $100 million. And everybody says, oh, how wonderful and how good we are. <laughs> but the Lord said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, the whole priorities of the kingdom section is summed up with this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And it's dealing with the area, uh, area of provision, and it's telling us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. We could be chasing, and our priorities could be the things of this world, and these things are important, like food and clothing, very important. Uh, a job... Um, having a roof over our heads, these things are important. But they are not more important than the kingdom. And when we put the kingdom first, God looks after the other areas. And then he goes on to say right after that, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So every day has some trouble in it of its own. And if you keep on thinking about the future, all of these troubles are going to pile up on you and you're going to collapse under it. So what was one of our troubles this week? The car door. The car door, the, the van door when it shut. <laughs> there was no way to get it to the mechanic in time to fix it. So what do we have to do? We have to take rope. To get here this morning, we had, we had our car doors roped together and just hoping that the police don't pull us over and say, hey, let's do a safety check here. <laughs> but, and in order for me to get out of the car, Anna had to come around the other side and untie my door as well as the kids' door so we could come out. And then the whole ride, ding, 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 because the door is open. It won't close. It's, it's rope shut. So it was already a little bit of a stressful morning. And anybody who has a family knows it can be stressful getting kids ready for church. But our kids have been generally good. Uh, but the, it can be stressful getting ready. And then to hear the whole ride, ding, 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 ding. It's like an alarm, you know, as everything in you gets agitated. But we had the praise and worship on, and we were worshiping <laughs> and praying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it needed a DJ to put it into sync. <laughs> well, every day has some trouble of its own. And, but our focus needs to be on the kingdom. The fourth section, and we're coming to an end here quite soon, the practice of the kingdom. So in Matthew 7, 1 through 12, we see the practice of the kingdom. And it goes, it says in Matthew 7, verse 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So if we don't know what to do, we ask, well, what would I like done to me? Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And then... The fifth last thing is the pathway of the kingdom. And this is where we read the pathway of the kingdom is Matthew 7, 13 through 27. And we read, enter through the narrow gate. 
For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only few find it. And then in this section, we read that, you know, how do we discern false prophets? Jesus says, by their fruit. Not by their prophecies, so to speak. Because even false prophets can actually predict right things. But he says, by their fruit. And this is talking about their character. And then it goes on to say, right after that, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So let me read that again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, these are some of the strongest words here and I remember when I was an early Christian, it really set me straight. And the Holy Spirit kept on speaking to me about this. And this is a foundation for all of our lives. Jesus is building in his people a strong constitution. This strong constitution is the character of the kingdom inside the heart of his people. So this is an inward kingdom that manifests itself outwardly, but it's an inward kingdom It has to do with our hearts. And that's why when dealing with adultery, he talks about it begins in the heart. And dealing with murder, it's the heart that matters. And the heart's the very thing that religion often forgets. It's because religion's all about the outward. It looks good. It appears good. Uh, we want a good name. Uh, we want to build our Tower of Babel and everybody praise us. And, but it forgets the heart. And only... God can transform the heart. That's the real need of the world today. Yeah. Only God can transform the heart. I mean, we think, Australians think if they pile up law upon law upon law that they could change society. Well, you change it a little bit outwardly and we have so many laws that you can't even keep up with them. <laughs> and, uh, I, I'm thinking about laws like, you know, in Queensland where you can't put your window down a crack because somebody could break into your car. So, you know, it's hot, and, you know, it's 40 degrees, and you're not allowed to put down your window a crack in the car. Because if you do, uh, you could get a ticket for it. I don't know if they're giving out tickets for it, but sometimes I figure they give out tickets for it. And we have lots of these little things, right? And um, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, we're, there's this over-government and one of the things I want to say here is the only way people change is their hearts. Their hearts. When our hearts are changed, then we want to do the will of God and we want to respect others. And sometimes we're looking to politics for the ultimate change. That's not going to be the ultimate change. It could have some safeguards, but people are still going to break the law. So it really, the gospel is about changing the heart the heart of man. And when the heart of man changes, everything changes. 
it's possible to have the outward look of the kingdom without the inner heart and spirit of the kingdom. And when this happens, we try to look good to others. We also fight first and foremost in the political realm rather than the spiritual realm. We get angry, aggressive, and forceful, yet we forget the way of the cross and that God makes his people in the secret place of the Most High. Now, I want to say here that our flesh fights against the way of the cross. And it could be daily that your flesh fights against the way of the cross and the way of God. That's why we need to constantly crucify ourselves with Christ or reckon that we're crucified with Christ. But there is always this battle here where we think we know better than God. God is not impressed with our size, signs, wonders, and miracles. You can hear that in what Jesus is saying in that last passage that we read. However, our Father is delighted when we submit to Him as Lord. Submission to His will shows genuine trust in Him. This is what it means. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, but those who actually... Submit to him as Lord. They enter the kingdom. The last passage of the Sermon on the Mount has to do with the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And that rock has to do with obedience to the word of God. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. But before that, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The storms came, but it didn't fall. And so churches all across the world need to get back to the rock, Jesus Christ the rock of obedience to him, listening to him, submission to him, he, him being Lord, Lord, and really being Lord. <laughs> I think this is the last slide. It is. Since God's kingdom is his government, we only live in his kingdom as we surrender to his lordship and continue to surrender to his lordship daily and one of the things I always want to emphasize, one of the things I always want to emphasize is that it's a daily surrender. It's a daily submission. It's a daily taking up of our cross. Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. I mean that. Did he physically die? No, he's talking about his heart. He's talking about his soul. He's talking about that surrender. Think he wanted to be persecuted and treated the way he wanted, the way he was treated? Do you think he wanted to go through all of that cost of bringing the gospel, but he died daily so that Jesus was glorified through his life. Salvation is being saved from our lordship and being brought under his lordship. So this is what salvation is. We are under our own lordship and the lordship of the world and uh, the lordship of the evil one. And salvation is we're taken out of that lordship and we put it put under the lordship of the king of kings. And we know that we fall short. That's why we need grace, but we need to keep on coming back. Keep on coming back to surrender, submission. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, 
Let's pray here. Father, we thank you for the riches of the Sermon on the Mount. And I thank you that it gives us a strong foundation. It's a foundation. It's a rock. It's a blueprint. It's our constitution. And you want it in our hearts. Where, Lord, we're straying, bring us back to that foundation. Each one of us. And a church as a whole, all across Australia, bring us back to the rock. Bring us back to you, Jesus, and your words and who you are. Bring us back to the gospel and the power of the gospel. And I pray that the power of the gospel would work through our lives so much, so much that people are being set free and their hearts are being transformed. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I'm asking a blessing on our congregation and a blessing to live out these things and to take them to heart. And one last thing is I want to pray for the tithes and offerings. And thank you for giving in tithes and offerings. They're important. And if you're online, you can go to brisbanefire.com and go to the give page and you can give online. And we could use a stronger base of supporters. So if God's been speaking to your heart, should I give? Yes, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's speaking. <laughs> Please help partner with us. Father, we just want to thank you for all the giving over this week and all the years because we couldn't be here unless people gave. And often it's the giving is the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. It's giving in secret. But we're asking that you take all the secret giving and you would reward everyone openly and bless the tithes and offerings that every need would be met and every family would be blessed and there would be abundant provision and the jobs, Lord, you would bless the jobs and the work of our hands. So we bring these tithes and offerings to you. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us according to your riches and glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.